Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Good morning, what a joy to be here. And uh, all you online as well, hallelujah. Uh, it's a great pleasure to, uh, to be greeted by Jess this morning and with her purposeful walk over. I knew she wanted something. And she said, what's the title? And I was a little stumped because there are three things going around in my heart which I really feel I just want to, with the Spirit's enabling, just impart. And the first is the voice of the Lord. The second is Red Letter Moments, and that's the title I gave her. And the thord, third thought is Thorns. And I just sense that hopefully we'll be able to bring this together so that it's, 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 it's his word, it's, it's his vehicle for bringing something what Pastor Hamp has just shared with us today. You know, three times in that wonderful chapter of John, chapter 10, we read, the sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. And just in case you're thinking, yeah, well, that was just for them. No, no. In verse 16, he said, I have another fold which isn't of them. And he was thinking on down through the centuries, all through those times, the medieval ages, wars, plagues, what else is new? And everything else right down to us today. And he said, I have other sheep which are not of this hold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. The voice of Jesus. Hallelujah. Then when he's talking about the Spirit and this wonderful, incredible the Gospel of John, you just keep returning to this. There's so much in it. But in John chapter 16, he's talking about the Spirit, and one of the things he will do is he says, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. And then he says, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine. He will catch. He will get hold of what's going on in the Godhead and declare it to you. So he's speaking to us. That famous verse that in John, sorry, in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice, which means he's not saying that if you can't hear his voice. We can hear his voice. Um, you know, open the door and I will come in. I, was inter- I just read this one this morning when um, Paul was relating some years after his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus and he was expanding what had happened. And uh, he said Ananias came to him. He, he had just been thrown down. The Lord Jesus had spoken to him, blazing sunlight. He was blinded. He was carried back to a house, and Ananias came. And he said to him, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, and he prophesied to Saul, who'd become Paul. He said, the God of our Father has chosen you three things, that you should know his will, that you should see the just one, and you should hear the voice of his mouth. And all through Scripture, old and new, there is this possibility that we can hear the voice of the Lord. Hallelujah. You, each one of us, every single person on the earth can. Do they know? But it's a possibility. 
and how easy it is for us to come and we, we become Christians and it's wonderful, we receive his spirit, but we rarely actually sense we feel his voice. Now, he isn't a, can I say this, he isn't a great conversationalist, <laughs> but the things he says and the times he says it are, can be most profound within our lives. Um, just um, Psalm, Psalm 19, Psalm 19, um, it talks about God has published two books to edify and instruct us. And start with these two, if you've ever heard his voice. There are two books that Psalm 19 says. The first book is the book of creation. He says, the heavens declare, tell out the glory of God. And I still, at my age, and I've seen many moons, I still, Lord, that's a wonderful moon. There was one evening a while ago uh, up in Dublin, the weather was really warm, and Ruth and I, we went out for a, a late evening walk down Dunleary Pier, and it was just bammy. It was, it was like Saint-Tropez or somewhere like that, and the lights are on, but we were the only ones on the pier, and we looked up, and we saw the sky, we saw the moon. And he spoke to us of his glory, his majesty. He said, I'm with you. I created all this. How much more? Etc. Etc. So Psalm 19 is wonderful. It talks about the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. There's talk, communication coming from him all the time. Night unto night reveals knowledge, etc. And then he comes to verse 7. And here is the other book. The law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, converting the soul. So there's no excuse that we cannot hear him. I hear God primarily by reading his book and by waiting on him. Sometimes I feel, Lord, are you still there? I've been waiting a long time. And he's just saying, well, wait a little bit longer. He chooses his moments and he'll speak to us today. Don't just wait to hear something from me. Hear something maybe in some word, some concept, some story I say to you, but hear his voice today. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. The Lord uh, uh, speaks the voice of the Lord. Now, Red letter moment. A red letter moment is a time of special significance and opportunity. That's a phrase we use. Oh, it was a red letter day. The day she finally agreed to marry me. It was a red letter day. The, the day my firstborn son was born, our daughter, just as important, were born. For me, it was my son, my firstborn. I've had four children, and I remember them all. They were all red letter days. But that first one, it was, so we all have these red letter days. But there are, there are red letter days when you hear his voice and you sense his word and you receive and perceive something that's from him to you. And it can change the direction of your life. Those two disciples on the Emmaus Road, what turned them around 180 degrees? It was, it was he said, was it not when he opened up the word and it said, from the prophets, from Moses through the prophets. What a Bible study as they walked on with him. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And, and all those seven miles, he was talking to them. And afterwards, when their hearts from being slow, they burned within them. They said, was it not when he opened up the word, they heard him. Even though he was there in presence, a privilege that as yet we don't have, one day we will have. But, but it was the word that spoke to them. So these red letter moments are important. Now, in some versions of our Bible, I actually have one of these versions. In the New Testament, all the words of Jesus are printed in red. And it's usually called a red letter Bible. I mean, I also have ones that are not red letter Bibles. But I like the red letter Bibles. Not so much for the Gospels, because you know that Jesus is speaking. But post his ascending to heaven, I was going to say splattered throughout, but sprinkled throughout, 
the New Testament are moments, and I'm sure there were many more than are written in the book, but for the canon of Scripture, the Holy Spirit combined them to these, that there are red-letter moments when Jesus speaks. And they're just, they're in red letter. And it's funny, you're reading through the book of Acts, and all of a sudden, you see in Acts chapter 9, it was Jesus speaking to Paul on the road of Damascus. He said, well, you know, you can read what he says. And Paul takes that, and actually he, he subsequently, later on in the book of Acts, he expands what he said to him on that road. So it, it isn't all recorded in chapter 9. There's more. And as you explore this book and go through it, you, you will see more, uh, more of this. And, and there are times that, that he, he will come back to Paul, but w once or twice we read that Paul was real well. He was in trouble quite a lot. But he can speak words of warning to us. He can speak words of comfort to us. He says to Paul when he was in, in Corinth, he said, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. So he can, he can speak to us anyway. I mean, I would really like to have that. I would like to have him speaking to me in dreams. I would like to have his audible voice, but I don't get to choose. He's given me two books. I can read from them. And, and obviously, there's the witness of the Spirit. Of course, there is. As you read this book, and a verse comes out or something comes out, the witness of the Spirit takes that, and you begin over time to identify, that's the Lord speaking to me. So he says to Paul this, don't be afraid, Paul, but speak and don't be silent, for I am with you. What a red-letter moment that was for Paul in Corinth as he was about to pack up and leave. And then he says, no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. What a red-letter moment that was for Paul. A little while later, Paul again was in Jerusalem, and he says, as I was praying in the temple, I was in a, a trance, a vision. That's kind of when, when natural consciousness is invaded by a spiritual impression. That's all I can say about that. But he said to I saw him saying to me, it's interesting, I saw him saying to me, make haste, get out of town quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Hallelujah. Uh, I've had a moment in my travels that that, that that came to me. It was just an unease. It wasn't as dramatic as this, but it was an unease. Uh, I just couldn't settle. And, and, and I, I, I phoned up, and I, I, for some reason, I changed the flight, and I got out of town early. And if circumstances happened, it's a long story. I won't go into them. It was the right thing to do. Hallelujah, he comes. It was a bit of a red-letter moment for me. He also says to him, um, two chapters on, he was still in Jerusalem, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Paul had been through a very rough time by the Judaizers and all the power that they held, all the political power, all the military power, all the religious power they held. They were coming against him. And this, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Be of good cheer, Paul. I can feel his compassion as he's saying this. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness in Rome. Don't be afraid. So red letter days were really important. Think of, think of the apostle John, the beloved John. You know, what, what did he feel like when he heard the sentence, ultimately from Nero, that he was going to be exiled to an inhospitable place, uh, an awful place called the island of Patmos. He was going to be exiled there. And, and, and I wonder what he felt. One writer has coined the phrase about something else. When we are marooned on the island of buried hopes and there's low, no land bridge way out. It, it, it's just a descriptive way of saying, we, we go through those days. My hopes have been buried and, and there's no way out of here. 
John must have felt that. Now, it doesn't say there's no indication that he did, but it's, it's, it's sometimes when we feel stuck, when we feel checkmated, when we feel stalemated, all hope is gone. It's like we're on that island of buried hopes and we're marooned there. And, and he's there and he's coming in and there's no sense of rescue or, 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 or how am I going to get release here? But you know, something awaited for him there. Something happened to him in that dreary place of exile so that his terrible isolation became instead a place of insulation. And it was by the voice of the Lord. There's the tie-up, okay? The voice, the word of God. Webster, he defines um, um, to insulate as to place in a detached situation. And so he survived and blossomed and wrote an incredible book on par with what Daniel broke, wrote hundreds of years early in chapter 9 of Daniel about the ends of the earth and history. He wrote this. He, he, became, he became, instead of being hemmed in by loneliness, he was detached from it. That's the power of the word of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. Instead of being confined with self-pity, insulated from, he was insulated from the oppressiveness of the smothering effect of despair and old age. He was maybe mid-80s. And his longing to be back with his friends in Ephesus, he could have easily felt, justifiably felt sorry for himself. But the voice of the Lord came to him, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the one we've been singing about came to him in a wonderful, clear way. Now, he's been walking with the Lord. He'd been walking in the Spirit. It says he was in the Spirit. So he heard it quickly and easily. And how I want to be in that, as far as I, I will follow what this word tells me, I'll follow what the witness tells me, how I can be in the Spirit, because I don't want to miss it. You see, sometimes he whispers. Sometimes he whispers. He's gentle. He's not out with a big, you know, megaphone trying to bring it. The world has that. You know, the louder, the more powerful, the more glitzy. But he comes and he whispers to us. And so this, you know, initially this island that he seemed confined on, he, it seemed narrow to him, very little to admire. But then one day it says he heard a voice behind him. And the one who had lain on the bosom, of, he, was, he was close to Jesus in a different sort of way than Peter was. He, he, was, he was close, he was, he, he, he was mystical, and he was always close. But, but he turned and he saw the, the glory of the resurrection Christ, and he hardly knew who he was. But he laid his hand on him and said, John, John, it's all right, fear not, hallelujah. And everything changed. Jesus spoke to him, and for him, this was a red-letter day for John. And you can read. In Revelation, all the red pages, if you have a red letter, but just you will, you will know it's, it's the Lord speaking to him. And, and, and this is tremendous. Now I wanted to move, so that's the voice of the Lord, a red letter day, now that I want to speak about thorns to you. You know, another of these red letter moments occurred during one of Paul's toughest moments in his life. He had many tough moments, but I feel this, is, this, this ranked up there. It's the thorn in the flesh moment, Okay. And in a matter of a few verses, he seems to have a completely different attitude. He's changed. God spoke to him and he changed. And he's saying, oh, now I see what you're doing. This is what Pastor Hamp was saying just before I stood up. For up to that moment, he was thinking on a slightly different plane. So we can read this in 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Unless, this is Paul speaking, unless... I should be exalted above measure 
by the abundance of the revelation. This man had been caught up in the third heaven. He saw things that he, he wasn't even permitted to say. He saw the things he was permitted to say, and he wrote them down. He, I don't know if any other man has been up in this place. And you know, sometimes the great enemy of us going on with God, the great enemy of spiritual, spirituality is pride. Satan, Lucifer, exalted himself. And before he did anything else, he rose up in pride. Pride is something, if, if anyone wants to move on with the Lord, you will know what it is to be humbled. Oh, that's what that happened to me. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't do it to, in a nasty way, but, but we go through things realizing who he is and who we are. And, and he's saying to me, in case I would be exalted by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan, this is, this is heavy this is heavy duty here. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I implored with the Lord three times. Usually he'd only have to ask the Lord once, and he'd know. He'd know. Three times. It doesn't say it was three times in a day, three times in a week, three times in a month. Over three months, he implored the Lord. Full stop. He implored, Lord, why? Why is this? And there are many, I, I don't even want to go there. I don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. I, I used to think I did know. So many theories out there, books about it. You can read it yourself and whatever, whatever suits you. But there was a thorn. We talk about thorns in a minute. And then verse 9, it says this, five words. And he said to me, red letter day, voice of the Lord. And we know this because, well, if you've been around Christian circles like enough, you'll have heard this many times. Songs have been written, plaques on walls have been painted and put up. But he heard it for the first time. And he said this, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul is saying, oh, of course it is. And then he goes on, for my strength is made perfect in that very thing that's weakening you, Paul. And therefore, Paul says, therefore, the impact of this red letter moment in Paul's life, this voice of the Lord to him, and this is why we, man does not live by bread alone. And this can be bread, to be honest, and I'm not, I love this, it's his holy book, but it can be bread on its own. Someone's advice to you, even a prophetic, it can be, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, if we really take that seriously, uh, I mean, I'm a bit of a news junkie. I like to read my BBC World Service and da 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 da, right and left wing and, and and see what's happening. It's good to keep up. But I know, Lord, I want to I want to give more time to hearing you. What are you saying on this? And of course, the deception is, oh well, he never speaks to me. Well, if you have that attitude, he probably won't. Well, sorry, he does, but you don't hear him. We got to listen. Jesus constantly said. Gentlemen, take care how you hear. Ladies, take care how you hear. The warnings in Hebrews, five warnings in Hebrews, wonderful book. Don't be put off by the warnings. But he said, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Because it may not be what you want to hear sometimes. Paul did not really want to hear. He wanted the thorn gone. But he gets something better. And so these words from the one who's sitting on the throne, he's our intercessor, Jesus, the Son of God, who've been worshiping today, hallelujah, 
to this troubled apostle who's thinking, why won't God answer my prayer? He gets his answer, and it turned him around. See, when we go through things, I don't know about you, I think probably the number one question when we're in pain is why. Why did such and such a thing happen? One of my children, one of my sons had to ask that question seven years ago when his grandson died. Why? Why? Why do these things happen? We want God to tell us why something happened. But you know, I'm beginning to learn that knowing why is not always what gets us through. It's knowing God, it's hearing his voice, it's realizing who he is, his power, that ultimately gets us through with what we are facing. That happened to Job. Ten coffins, no house, no assets, and he's covered in boards. What do you say to a man like that? Not a lot. And 39 chapters, everyone coming in with their counsel, their advice, and everything else, his wife, his friends, and everything. And in chapter 39, God speaks out of the whirlwind. And in chapter 41, whatever he spoke changed him completely. He said, Lord, you can do whatever you want. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, now I see you. And just by the way, Job, they, they reckon it was chronically, chronologically about one year. And at the end of that one year, he had more than he'd ever had before. God restored it. But what did he say? Four chapters, what did he say that turned him around? Because you and I know, because we read in the Bible, it was what happened to him was because Satan and God came to some sort of arrangement. We're going to test him. And you have permission to test him. Something was happening in his earth. God never mentioned that to him. He never said, you know, Job was, it would have been easy to say, oh, by the way, Job, this may be helpful to you, and I'll counsel you on this. This is the reason it's happened to you. Satan and I, we did this, we did that. But he didn't say anything of that. And you can read it yourself. He talks about ostriches, leviathans, hippopotamuses, how they look, scales, birds, geology, biology. He's talking about that. And it changed Job because it was the voice of God. And he doesn't always have to explain himself. He's God. He explained himself on the cross. That's my explanation. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't inform. Of course he he does it, but by, if you're struggling with that, just be released now in that. If he wants to tell you all the details, he will. Maybe he, Job never knew about that, that arrangement that was happening. You know, there are sadly some people who get angry with, with God when they don't get an explanation. And there are times when people won't even follow or serve him or they cease to believe him, unfortunately. Well, he never told me why. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said, you don't always know why your uncle died of cancer so young, why your child is the way he or she is, physically the way they are. Why do they have money and not I? Why did that turn out the way it did? Why did I marry this person? Why didn't they ask me to be a leader? Well, apparently the answer is, you don't always need to know why. And that's something we have to die to at times. And if... God, he does reveal things to us, and he does explain things to us, but it's his time of choosing. And I think when Jesus spoke this word to Paul, the word of God resonated within him, and he realized, because the power of Christ dwells in me, I can face not only a thorn, 
but five other things besides. He'd say, bring it on now. This grace is so sufficient. It's not just, I thought when he said, weaknesses, insults, persecutions, difficulty. For when I'm weak, uh, then I'm strong. Hallelujah. And he went away fortified and with great momentum in his spirit because the Lord had spoken to him. See, there, there was purpose in, 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 in the thorn and, as, and there was provision. And the, the purpose, as I said, was, was, was to, keep him, to, to, to keep him away from that poison of pride. It's awful when you see it in the name of the Lord. Oh, anyway, I won't go on about that. But, but he, he, he said, there's, there's provision. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, uh, uh, there's so much, and you know a lot of what, what grace is, but I just like this very short um, definition of grace. It's God's supernatural provision for every need when we need it. That's his grace. You can expand it a lot more than that. Wonderful books have been written about his grace. He didn't need an explanation. He needed a promise. And he gave him a promise. My grace, my power is sufficient for you. And I know that's for someone today. I just know it. I know because I know. Just you need to, oh, I've heard about it before. I've heard about it, but now do your eyes see it? Your inward eye of faith, really see that. Hallelujah. You know, he, he, he moved from I've got a thorn in the flesh and God won't talk to me. And he could have said, I've got a thorn in the flesh and God won't talk to me. I've given up all my career and all this. And he just won't. He could have stayed there. But a red letter moment happened. And he talked and he turned. He said, I'll take that thorn plus weaknesses, plus insults, plus stresses, plus persecution, plus difficult. Bring it on. Lord, I have power already by your word. He gave him one word, actually 14 words. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he said this about the verse. I think it's really four things he said very briefly. He said, whatever would be good for you, Christ's grace is sufficient to bestow. Number two, whatever would harm you, his grace is sufficient to avert. Number three, whatever you desire, his grace is sufficient to give if it is good for you. And number four, whatever you would avail, sorry, whatever you would avoid, his grace can shield you from it in his wisdom and his, as he dictates. Hallelujah. So remember that when the thorn strikes. <laughs> He'll have a word for you. Have you found when you're most in need, when problems come in, disappointments, disasters, unexpected things, you actually pray more? <laughs> do you think he wants you to pray more? Why do you think he wants you to pray? So you can benefit more from his word and his grace to you. I'm not saying he's causing all these things. He allows things to happen. But we're living in a fallen world. Now, shifting the emphasis slightly, I just want to talk a little bit about there are also so many thorns that Jesus extracts from our lives. He left that one with Paul. We don't know, maybe it was forever or maybe it was whatever. Okay, 
but he used that mightily in his life. So that very thing that you think is a thorn that shouldn't be there, just bring it to the Lord, seek him, plead with him a little. You don't have to do it three times. He did, and, and, and the Lord will speak to you. And you can either live within the confines of that relationship, which isn't ideal for you at this point in time, and you're wondering, how can I ever get out of this? I'm in a prison. Allow his grace to be sufficient for you. Either we believe him or we don't. And if we don't, we might as well pack up and we go down to the beach for the day. We probably will go there anyway, later. <laughs> the nature of thorns. They're usually small. Have you ever tried to take a thorn out of your child's finger? And it's all they concentrate on. And, and it's, it's, it's unexpected. I don't know how this happened, Dad. And it's penetrating, it's sharp, it's painful. Extraction can be difficult. Thorns punch above their weight. They demand attention. They force you to concentrate on it. I have a thorn, I have a thorn, I have a thorn. They have the power of distraction. Left unattended, thorns can fester and poison your bloodstream. Years ago, we were young, we were very young, we weren't, we were quite poor. Growing up in the 50s, I was very young there, obviously. Uh, and uh, my dad was prepared to go to England um, to try to get an interview for an agency that he would represent in Ireland, a commission agent. I remember it well, and I was talking to my brother just last week, and he remembered it. And it's, to me, it, it just was a story I want to share with you. And... and Mom took out the suit and armed the suit. And Dad woke up, and he had this incredible pain all down the side of his face. And he said, it's like a thorn. It's like a thorn. And, and he's getting the mailboat from Dunleary to Hollyhead that evening, this thorn. And we're there, and we're all, you know. Um, I mean, we weren't starving. Don't get me wrong. But, but things are tough enough. And he needed to go there. And his thorn. So he, he goes to the doctor. He knew the doctor well. The doctor gets a, gets a torch. He pokes around. He says, George, I can't see anything in there. I can't see anything. But take some aspirin. He'd probably be all right. A bit of an earache. So dad comes home. We're all, dad, how's the ear? He says, it's like a thorn. It's terrible. And the hours tick by. And, you know, my brother's really serious. And I, I go off and forget about it. And then I see my brother and said, how's dad's thorn? He says, it's still there. It's still there. If Dad won't get to England, we, he won't get this, and we won't have Christmas presents. I said, well, don't have Christmas. You know how kids are. Dad's still there. And about two hours before he's about to leave, my darling mom, she says, she gets olive oil, and she heats it on a spoon. And she said, come over, George. And my older brother, he held the torch, and he has an ear, and he, she pours in the oil into his ear. It was down and then she gets her tweezers. You know, women then, they used to have tweezers to pluck their eyebrows. I know they don't do that anymore. And she's rooting around in his ear, these tweezers. And we're there looking at this. And then she says, I think I see something. Put the tweezers in. And she pulls out this thing. And we're all there. It was a feather pillow that night, obviously caught in his ear. A feather. 
you know, oil in the air can change a thorn into a feather. That's what happened to Paul. Sufficiency of his grace changed that thorn. And I remember him saying, well, I didn't, but my brother told me last week that I was telling him the story. I was thinking of sharing it. And he said, I remember that. He said, I don't remember Dad standing up and said, what a relief. And he, he hugged and embraced my mother. And he, he goes off to England. He gets the agency and we became millionaires. No, we didn't. <laughs> but, brothers and sisters, oil in the ear, the voice of the Lord, red letter moments can change a thorn into a feather. That's his grace. That's the supernatural working of the Lord. What about the thorn of a sudden shock or bereavement? Again, our friend C.S. Lewis, he was a great wordsmith, and God has used him. I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. I love his books. And he said this, the death of a loved one is like an amputation. And it is. It is. And some of you here have known that maybe in recent years. And it's, it's an amputation. After his wife, Joy, died, C.S. Lewis, he kept a journal. And he never intended it to be published. And yet one day it was, and it was read by thousands of people, and it comprised of his private thoughts during a time when he was dealing with not just buried hope, but folks completely lost hope. And the book is called A Grief Observed. And we see how he processes faith during the most tragic times in his life. Uh, not just this week on, but the previous week, Ruth and I went to a conference. We were asked to minister at a conference in England. It's the first time we'd been on a plane for uh, 18 months. It was kind of novel for 10 minutes, and then you get used to it again. And we were at this conference We've spoken at this conference over the years, not every year, maybe every second year or something like that. And after the first night of the conference, there was a man, he's older than me, and, and I saw him, and I knew he wanted to, to greet me. And, and I, there were some other people, I never saw him. And the next day, I, I made sure I spoke to him. And he, he's from... He's from the Isle of Wight. I don't want to say too much about him, but he's from the Isle of Wight, and he, he has a fourth generation of business in the Isle of Wight, employs a lot of people. He's retired. His sons are doing it. The directors pray every morning over this business. It's, 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 it's well known. And he said, I said, how are you? And he looked at me and he said, you haven't heard. I said, no. He said, my wife died in April, very tragically, with a lot of stigma attached to it. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. You wouldn't have expected it. I said, was she depressed? No, he said. I said, how are you? He said, I'm a bit numb. I said, I'm sure you are. He said, I wanted you to know. I said, thank you. Some of you are identifying with bereavement. You know, I'm probably approaching it like an age that some of the friends I knew, people I went to school with, I played rugby with, and et cetera, et cetera, 
reading them dying. And he's a year younger than me, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Got to make the most of it. Two nights later, we had our, it was a Thursday night meeting, and we really just felt it was a time that, that, that just, it, it's sort of conference, they don't have appeals every night, sometimes they don't have appeals at all, but I just felt we'll have an appeal for people to, to come forward, and some of, the, some of the leaders, myself, we were praying with people, going along the line, going along the line, and here was this lovely little man. I said, brother, and we were anointing some with oil. He said, anoint my head with oil. And I anointed his oil. He said, God has come to me. But he said, it's my mind. I want it healed of the shock. What do you say to a man who's lost his wife in such a tragic way? All the... All the island probably heard about it. I stood back, and there he did. Your grace is sufficient, Lord. The next day I saw him, he was smiling. He's amputated. He has an amputation. You, you don't recover from things like that, but you're, you're given the ability to go on. The thorn of... Sudden shock and bereavement with all the stigma and the tragedy attached to it. One more story. This is a story about the thorn of disappointment. I've come to realize that, that disappointment can be a very powerful thing. And yet it's something that we have. No, no, I'm not disappointed. But you are. So I think it was about 12 or 13 years ago. And I have a feeling maybe 10 years ago I may have shared this story because it only came back to me this morning when I woke up early. And I said, well, I shared this. But I don't care if some of you have heard it. It's worth hearing again. But it just illustrates this thing, just the power of disappointment. So about 13 years ago, Ruth and I, we go to Africa a lot, West, West Africa, Cameroon. And the church out there had decided to have a youth conference for a week. And they asked me to speak at a youth conference. I said, thank you very much. But I said, they don't want to... Listen for a whole week to an old man. I said, can I bring someone? They said, oh, yeah. So I brought my son, Scott. My third child's second son. Now, it was his first year anniversary, wedding anniversary, when we were leaving. And I said, Scott, he said, I'd love to go, Dad. He'd already been as a kid to Zimbabwe. He loved Africa, even though it nearly killed him. His father wasn't there to look after him. He, anyway, malaria and dungy fever and everything else lines, the lot, he, he experienced. But he wanted to, to go back, and I said, no, ask your wife. If she, and she said, of course you can go. So about for three months, he prepared. How many meetings, Dad? And, 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 and he, he prepared. He said, I think I have a word. I said, pray. And he said, I'm doing it. He'd phone me up the odd time. You know? I said, that's fantastic. At first, it was two, and I put him up. Scott, I said, that's four meetings. And he was so, I've never spoke. He preaches a bit at his church, but one maybe one meeting a month, but now it was four meetings and he was really excited, packed the bags already. And the day comes and we fly from, 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 from Dublin to Charles de Gaulle Airport. We land, we get through, we're all gung-ho, we're going to save Africa, we're going to save the youth of Cameroon. You know that feeling when you're young. And we go in and the place is chaotic. Many African people, many French 
Europeans, French, French, um, white people as well, all milling around. I said, what's happening? And oh God. So I eventually, I think I had an Air France card, uh, uh, the mileage card. I, I get, uh, we're going to, we're going to uh, Douala. No, sir, you are not going to Douala. Uh, apparently, five airports in five countries in West Africa had suddenly come out and strike because they hadn't paid the poor guys, right? And they were all, uh, so all those outgoing planes were stalled, and, and, and it was chaotic. So we could go around, we queue in this place. Uh, uh, here's my card, and after a while, they don't care about your card. He said, sir, it's the best thing for you. He said, take your boy, go home, back to Dublin for one week, and then try again. But we can't, and then other people will come in. It was one of those times, and I'm seeing Scott slowly, the disappointment is hitting him, and things are draining from him. He, he's, he's thinking, oh, we're not going to go, and I'm all prayer. I mean, it may not seem a huge thing, but I, I felt it. I felt it. I, for me, I, I'd say, well, I'll be going out again. That's all right. But it was an opportunity for him. And so he sort of, I mean, to clamber over the, 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 the conveyor belt to get our luggage, and I could see he was just, he's a guy who kind of shows his, his, his emotions, and he just sort of, and he sits down, and, and then I, I get him water, and he, he Sorry, I'll have a, have a drink. Or I said, I want a sandwich, and then you go, and then sandwiches are all gone. The place is it's hot. It's, it just, it was awful. Hope I'm painting the picture, all right, because it was really just one. So we landed about eight, so about half four in the afternoon. I said, shall we pray? And in the ordinary way, he said, oh, yeah, let's pray. He says, okay. He was disappointed. It meant the world to him. We prayed. I, it wasn't terribly inspired. Prayer was just, Lord, where, where, where? Help! <laughs> help! I don't hear anything. You know, I'm, is there a verse? Is there no, nothing. So anyway, I said, what I think we should do, wise father, I said, why don't we get a taxi? We go to an Ibis hotel, and we come back the next day. Oh, Okay. And then we're, we're going out, and into my mind, a clear thought comes. Try this one. And there's a queue here. And I've been queuing all day. It's amazing when you're in a situation like this, total strangers become your best friends. Have you a ticket? Have you a dinner, a voucher for lunch and all? So they were all there, and I see some of the guys there, and I see this queue. Try this one. Try this, it just in my mind. And I really felt it, it was an answer to that prayer we'd prayed an hour. So I said, Scott, I'm going to try. Dad, he said, what's the use? I said, just sit there. Sit. <laughs> so I go, you talk to your dog at times. Sit there. And I, I joined the queue. At the end of the queue, there were two desks. On my right-hand side, there was a nice, young, attractive Air France lady. And on my, my left-hand side is an old Air France guy grumpy. So I'm saying, Lord, I want her. I want to, I want to speak to her. I can, I can do my salesman on her. I can, I can, I get him. And he's down there and I'm up here and he looks at me. He's tired. Half four. He's handling this all day. I give him my ticket. Oh, no. He said, it's not possible. You go back. No, no. I said, I have to go. And he looks at me and says, pourquoi? Why? And I don't know where this came from. 
give me grace here. I said to him, I am a heart doctor. And he looks up at me and goes, a what? A heart doctor. Oh, a doctor of the heart. Yes. And I have to go to this, to Cameroon. I have to go there. I says to him, and then he looks at me and goes, I said, sure, absolutely, anything that you want. And he starts to type on the old keypad. And I see upside down the printer, two tickets coming out for tomorrow's flight at 10. That there wasn't supposed to be a flight. Two, two of them are coming out. You never trust the airlines. Two tickets are coming out. And I'm feeling like I'm on a roll. A bit like Paul. Weaknesses, insults. Come on, bring it on. So he says, is that all? I said, how about a, a voucher for a hotel for the night? <sighs> You see, when, when you feel, I really felt the Lord now had spoken to me. At the time, I wasn't sure, but I'm up here, and he's printing tickets for me, and I, I think I can ask him for anything. And I get, he said, one room. No, could we have two singles, please? I'm with my son. <sighs> anything else, monsieur? I said, yeah, how about a voucher for dinner? Je le sais pas, là, quoi, là, you know. He gets it all up. He goes like that, I go like that. And before he passed to me, he says, no. And I'm wondering what? He said, can I talk to you in private at the back? So he was in this booth. So he, he goes out the door, and I go around the back because he had my tickets, my voucher for dinner, free hotel. And I come around the back. You see, sometimes our wonderful Savior has a sense of humor. He's not all heavy persecution, thorns. He, he, there's a lightness of touch. So we go around the back, and there he is. He's a small man, and he looks up at me, and he says, eh, can you help me? I said, sure. I thought he, we were going to pray the sinner's prayer, maybe, although I hadn't mentioned anything. And he said, oh, I have a, something wrong with my eye. <laughs> oh, I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm just a heart doctor. He says, Okay. And he gives it. He said, maybe, here's my card. Write to my boss. Tell him I've been helped. I said, I certainly will. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Don't mention it to any. So I'm going back to Scott, who's over here, right? I have the best news of the day for him. Probably the best news of the year for him. And all these guys are in the queue. Hey, Larry, what have you got? What have you got? And he's told me not to say. So I said, oh, uh, um, uh, room in the hotel for the night, which wasn't a lie. It's true. And I go back, and Scott's there, and the people are there, and Scott's looking up, and I'm walking toward him, and I just, and I do this. And his eyes brightened up, and the thorn came out. And he, I said, cool it, cool it, cool it, just pretend, just pretend we're going to a hotel. No tickets, okay, Dad. And he, he does it too much. I said, son, not that bad, okay, okay. And we go out, and then he, 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 outside, he hugs me, he kisses me. Dad, he said, you're great. No, I said, he's great. Now, the story doesn't end here. We're okay. Five years later, I think I was on my own. I don't think you were about the that time. I'm back in Cameroon, in another city, Yaoundé, the capital. It's, they're having a, an evening meeting. It's hot, it's sticky. We're up in a top floor Four, four apartments made into one room. It's hot, it's sweaty. It's the last meeting of a long run. When you're in Africa, you preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. I don't know what they think we're made of, but anyway. And I'm there, and I'm tired, 
and I'm given a word. And a little late into the room, a young lady comes in. I noticed her because she had a, a beautiful yellow dress, beautiful color, because the others weren't dressed terribly well. And she's, and she's smiling at me, smiling at me, beautiful teeth, as if she knows me. I said, who is she? Who is she? I should know her. And then she comes up to me. She says, Uncle Larry. All the kids, when they're young, they call you uncle. Uncle Larry, you don't know me. I said, I do. I just don't know your name. I said, I'm Abigail. Abigail. Vincent's, yeah, Abigail, what are you doing? Oh, she said, I'm doing primary teaching. Sorry, I was at the meeting, late at the meeting. I said, that's all right. And, and she said, oh, uncle. She said, do you remember five years ago? She didn't say me. She said, when Scott came. I said, yeah, yeah, Scott and me. Yeah, yeah, Scott came. <laughs> yeah. She said, the third meeting he spoke, I had been in sin. I'd been, I'd been pretending to my parents, but I was in sin. This is the way they speak out there, so direct. And she said, Scott brought a word that changed my life completely. She said, I got baptized the next couple of months, and she said, I'm up here, I'm primary school teaching now, and I, and I have opportunity to open up uh, the school to, 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 um, to Christian Union and everything. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. The power of the thorn of disappointment, his grace, his word comes and, re and relieves us. And you may be experiencing a thorn now, and it's preoccupying you, it's distracting you, it's preventing you hearing the word of the Lord. Maybe, maybe Nathan and the, and the musicians could just come up. And he would say to you, don't harden your hearts. Hear his voice today. Hear his voice. My grace is sufficient for you, not just to barely get through, but to give you free hotel, free dinner, and whatever else we got. And Anna and Abigail, five years later, to tell you the greatest thing that could happen to anyone. You know, the Bible says he is the God of all grace. His throne is a throne of grace. His word is the word of grace. And how appropriate that the very last verse in the Bible says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all for forevermore. There's something here I just wanted to say. Yes. That's fine. Just take your time there, there Nathan. I just want to read. I just feel to say this, or you may like to read this this afterwards, because again, this is about the voice of the Lord. Psalm 29. Psalm 20. If you've heard anything that just would, would, would identify something in your say, yeah, I, I, I see it. I can grasp that. I need that. I need to come to it. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're, you're interested. Come to know him. He, he is the Lord of grace to save us, to, to free us from the poison of of, of, of all that we've been into, of sin. The Bible calls it sin. Here it says in Psalm 29, there's actually seven things, so I'm just going to fly through them as the musicians are coming. It says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. Psalm 29, verse 3. In other words, he, all waters, is, the word could be flood, things that overwhelm us. You may be going back to a situation that's overwhelming, and the voice of the Lord will minister to the things that overwhelm you. It could be a flood of, 
ungodliness, of despair, of depression. The grace of God is powerful. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. It is weight and force. And if you need to see things move, the voice of the Lord today is to shift things, either in your life or in a situation, by supplying you with a sufficiency of grace. Also, verse 4, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty, beauty, goodness. Sometimes our lives can just feel so kind of... Oh, dull and mundane, that we need his color. He brings color. He brings life, brings vision. Verse 5 says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. I love that. Breaks means to bring to birth. Cedars have heavy, long roots. And the Lord is saying in this verse that his voice can shift things in our lives that we think are so deeply rooted that we're not going to be able to take them out inherited things, even curses, even things that have been passed on to us, but receive his word and those things that are so deeply embedded will go. Hallelujah. And, and, and then um, the voice of the Lord in verse 7 divides the flames of fire. Some people, uh, we've, we've passions that have gone out of control, passions of temper, of anger, of lust. And you say, well, it's all the way out. It doesn't have to be. The grace of the Lord comes. And then the voice in verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. This is Psalm 20. Read it to, someone wants to read this tonight. Read it tonight or even this afternoon. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Some of you are wandering in bleak and barren places and his voice can come and shakes you out of that. It's not man, it's, it's not some preacher. It's, it's, it's him, he's coming to you and he shakes these things. And finally, it says in verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And that word deer, it means doe. It, 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 the Hebrew word in the Greek, it means the name of a girl, a Tabitha or Dorcas. And you know in Acts 9, she died. And the voice of the Lord had power to raise her from the dead. And you may think that there are things that have died in me. Bereavement has caused me to die. Unrequited love has caused me to die. The rigors and hardship of life have caused something to die in me. The voice of the Lord comes and he brings new birth. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.